0: Good morning, friends. Great to see you. Great to be with you. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, starting at verse 21. If I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is Dominic Dinger, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of a church called Refuge in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Yeah? (laughs) Otherwise known as... St. Cloud, Minnesota, (laughs) except for this time, when I took off from uh, St. Cloud, there was no snow on the ground in Minnesota. And then we got here and there's uh, 36 inches, what the heck? We actually went to go pick up our um, rental car and, we always get the cheapest one. And the guy asked where we were going. And I got my uh, my son Evan and my daughter Willow. They came with me this time. And we were going to go up to Estes Park for a couple days before coming here. And the guy looked at me with wide eyes. And he goes, yeah, you're not going to take this car. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, we'll put you in a forerunner And I go, why? And he goes, you'll see. <laughs> so we went up there and tried, tried to drive through Rocky Mountain National Park. Didn't work so well. <laughs> Things were closed. They actually opened up one of the, the main roads uh, later on the day. So we went back in and we saw the contraption that cuts those roads open. You know, it's pretty massive and amazing. And then uh, w- with the Forerunner, runner um, we, just, we just had to, since so many things were closed, we just had to go and find some minimum maintenance roads and see what a forerunner can do. So if you want to see, I can see it from here. Actually, it used to be white. It's no longer white. Um, but we had some fun. This uh, trip is kind of an annual uh, blessing for me. Pastor Ada invites me out about once a year, and it's it's, it's turned to be kind of a rite of passage for my kiddos. Um, Each time that they turn nine, they're able to accompany Dad on this trip, and my son Silas has come with me, my daughter Josephine has come with me, Evan has come with me, and Willow is turning nine in April, and so she brought her big brother to keep her company this time, and And so it's good to be with you guys, excited to go through God's word with you. Let's see what he has to say. huh? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this place. Thank you for Pastor Ed. pray that you're blessing him right now as he's sharing the word in California. And I pray you bless his family. I thank you for giving him to me as such a good friend, a real good friend. And I thank you for his ministry to me and my family and to our fellowship and I pray now, Lord, that you administer to this fellowship in this place at this time. Lord, you know what we've gone through. You know what we're going to go through. And we know, Lord, that only you can do anything. You can do anything, and only you can do anything about anything, Lord. We just, we need you. We need you to, to work in our lives, to help us, Lord. We're at your mercy. We pray that you would speak, and that you would bless your people, and that you would draw others to yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I still feel like I'm 19, and yet I've been a pastor now almost 25 years. That kind of freaks me out. And I was thinking back to when I was first examining the claims of Christ. Some of you guys know my testimony. I started seeking... uh, Well, I didn't start seeking Jesus. I actually started seeking a girl (laughs) who... Who, liked G- who loved Jesus and who told me that she wouldn't marry anybody that didn't love Jesus. And so I said, I love Jesus. And, <laughs> and my goal for accompanying her to Bible study was to disprove Christianity quickly, rescue her from the ignorant fundamentalist, get on with her life. you know. And I thought that was going to be pretty easy. And so I started reading the Bible. But I started reading the Bible looking for loopholes started reading the Bible, trying to argue with God and angry with God. And, and yet I don't believe that God exists. So why am I angry? I'm so confused. And, and in the church that I was attending at the time, uh, I found myself gravitating towards the lending library that they had. I had this lending library, this is how far back it was, with cassette tapes. Yeah. Lined the walls with cassette tapes. And, and I found myself listening to Two men named Chuck. Uh, one was Chuck Smith and the other was Chuck Missler. And I listened to these gentlemen, I mean, incredible Bible teachers, and yet their style of delivery couldn't have been more different. You know, Chuck Smith was slow, thoughtful. Um, he, you know, he thought about what he was going to say before he said it. Uh, and and, and Chuck Mister was so quick, so much information, so much excitement, trying to fit all of it in within the time allotted to him. And it was interesting, at the time, I had this Sony Walkman that had this brand new feature called variable speed playback. I know, fancy, right? And it came in handy with uh, Chuck Smith because, although honestly, best, one of the best Bible teachers of all time, He was so slow in his delivery that sometimes he had pauses that you could drive a whole train through. I mean, they were just, so as this 19-year-old kid, I'm like, I gotta speed this up, and I could, so I, I did. Now, Chuck Missler, on the other hand, he was just so fast, so much information, and he was a mathematician by trade, and I was a math major at the time, that I wanted to hear every detail of what he was saying, so I'd actually slow him down. Now, here's these two men, their style, couldn't have been more different. But there was something similar about these two men that really gripped me as an unbeliever, that really intrigued me. And what it was was that they really believed what they were saying. I know this doesn't sound so startling to many of you, but you know, I grew up in a religious circle where, you know, Sunday morning was, you know, stand-up, sit down. Kneel, say what you're supposed to say, and try to get to the parking lot before everybody else does. You know that's, that's what it was. And, and it seemed to me, even as a kid, that, that there were a lot of people that were just they were just going through the motions, they were just saying words, and, and even the people that claimed to represent Christ would approach the Word of God like, like a, a dry, dull, you know, um, odd crusty, dusty, you-better-listen-if-you-want-to-be-a-better-person kind of thing. And none of that really drew me to Christ. But it was, it was people like my dad, even I remember back when I was like six, where I would, I'd listen to him say those words, and while everyone else seemed to be vainly repeating things, he seemed like he was talking to someone. Like he really believed he was talking to someone. And there was this authenticity to what he was saying and genuineness to what he was doing that that drew me in. And I don't know if this resonates with any of you. I don't know if you've had that experience before. You know, it's it's the difference between, especially for those who claim to represent Jesus and are delivering the Word of God, it's the difference between a hireling and a good shepherd. You know, it's the difference between someone tasked to say something And someone that really has something to say. Someone who has spent time in awe and wonder of their Heavenly Father and out of the overflow of a heart that's so grateful for grace, they want to serve people with His Word. And if you grew up in those circles where it was the other one, where it was the dry and crusty, odd rules and regulations and man-made culture and you better listen if you want to be a better person kind of stuff, and then you walk into a place where you hear the word of God taught in a way that you've never heard before from a person that you can, you can sense that they really believe what they're saying. And there's simplicity. There's no show. There's authenticity. There's this odd sense of authority, not from the person, but from the word. Because he's not quoting tradition. He's not quoting man's opinions. He's proclaiming the word really of God. And you get a sense that it really is the word of God. And if you've experienced that contrast before, you have something in common with the people in Capernaum that we're going to see today. They're about to experience that contrast between someone who's tasked to say something and someone who really has something to say. So let's look at the first two verses Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. Verse 21 says this. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Okay, so here we have that contrast. We have, we have a, a contrast between the scribes and Jesus, the way the scribes would deliver the Word or commentaries on the Word or traditions from the Word and the way that Jesus, the living Word, would bring the living Word. And the contrast was so 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 startling, it says they were astonished. And God doesn't waste words when he describes situations like this. So who were the scribes and why did they teach the way that they taught? The scribes were the lawyers of the day. Uh, they were the legal experts. And since much of the Old Testament contained the or was the law of Moses, uh, they approached the scriptures as a legal document. And so the way that they would teach was, you know, the way someone would teach a legal document. But the problem was, and what made matters worse, is what was added to the word over the centuries. I mean, by this time, there were so many commentaries that there were commentaries on the commentaries on the commentaries on the commentaries. And so the scribes would probably not be teaching the word directly. They would probably be talking about one of the commentaries of the commentaries, And so you can see why this contrast would be so startling. Because here's these people who are just tasked to say something. And then Jesus comes in with something to say. And here he is, the living word, giving the living word. And for them, they were astonished. So let's read it again. Let's look at this difference between... Scripture and tradition. Verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now I can imagine that this experience was, again, doubly startling for those gathered in Capernaum. I mean, they had their whole life of listening to this kind of teaching from those who are tasked to say something. And I can imagine there's probably some of you who are older in age that have have had a similar experience. You may have gone to some of those religious circles that I mentioned at the beginning and, and sat under that kind of teaching and you just didn't know that there was anything different. And then someday someone invited you and you heard something different and you wondered why it was different. And then you came to find out that it was because you had a humble person grateful for grace and awe and wonder of their Heavenly Father delivering the Word of God to you in a in an effort to serve you, not to impress you, but I, 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 in a, a humble, you know, uh, faithfulness to what was entrusted to their care they deliver to you the word of God in a way that serves you and then and then they disappear and you start actually hearing God speak to you because this isn't a a rule book this isn't the dry and dusty you know odd regulations and stipulations and you better listen if you want to be a better person that's not what this is about this is God's primary way of speaking to his kids And you experienced that. You came with a problem that no one knew about, especially the pastor. And then you heard God address that problem in particular. And then you left with your soul stirred, saying, like, the people on the road to Emmaus, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? And the contrast between religion, someone tasked with saying something, and then relationship, someone who really had something to say was so startling, was astonishing, I wonder what it was like for those in Capernaum. I wonder what it sounded like when Jesus taught the Word of God. Don't you want to find a teaching tape of that? do you want to hear what it, what it was like? Do you, what, do you think he was loud? Do you think he was soft? Do you think he was fast? Do you think he was slow? We don't know. We don't know what it sounded like. But we do know what the content was. We even know some of the style of how Jesus delivered the word of God. And I was thinking before this study that if I know what Pastor Ed's been posting these pictures of Israel and the study tours that you guys have opportunity to go on. And if you ever have opportunity to go on a study tour to Israel, I encourage you to make this investment. I can see in my mind's eye the ruins of this synagogue. I remember walking around the ruins of this synagogue thinking what it must have been like for Jesus teaching in this place, wondering what it might have sounded like. I can, I can see the countryside and the hillsides and the seashores that Jesus chose to use as his sanctuaries, where he would teach and preach and proclaim God's word with authenticity and authority and simplicity. And, and if you read those, Over and over, you can almost hear him audibly, but you do get this sense of his repeated content, the things that were important to him, what he would deliver over and over. And here's a few of them. He would often talk about the kingdom offered to Israel. The kingdom of God is coming. The kingdom of God has come. And he would often talk about a new start, a new beginning, Birth. You must be born again in order to enter into that kingdom, in order to be a citizen of that kingdom. And then he would also talk about holy living as a sign, as evidence that one had been truly born again, that one had become a genuine citizen of that kingdom. And then Jesus, the ultimate intellect would illustrate all of this in the simplest of ways with what was all around him. And people were just captivated as he would talk about these simple things. I mean, profound meaning coming from things like seeds and soil, farmers and flowers. And then he was always rooted in Scripture. His sermons were full of Direct quotations from the Old Testament. Jesus was a preacher of the word. And we would do well to follow in his footsteps since all of us have been called to go and make disciples, to deliver the word of God, to preach the gospel to every living creature. You know, preaching is just just proclaiming the word of God aloud. And it doesn't have to be in some freaky way. Look at Jesus' example, seed and soil and farmers and flowers. And he's delivering it in a way that serves the people that he's ministering to. What a great example. And I can imagine that even beyond his content, the thing that would be so captivating for so many would be to see in his eyes that he really believes what he's saying. That even Jesus is in childlike awe and wonder of his heavenly father. We even see that in the scriptures, don't we? Remember when Jesus was looking at the Pharisees and they weren't getting it and he was looking at this ragtag bunch from Galilee and they were getting it? And he just throws his head back and he goes, oh, Father, I thank you. It's so great that you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you revealed these things to these simple people. It's so wonderful. I can imagine that as Jesus would teach and preach and proclaim God's word, it was soul stirring. It would make hearts burn. And he would would just do this in a way that would captivate people, astonish people like we read. Okay, so speaking of, we should probably work our way through more than two verses, huh? Let's continue on. Verse 21. Verse 21. Let's go through verse 24 this time. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That's intense, isn't it? you imagine that happening? Now, it's interesting that even Jesus' enemies recognized his identity, didn't they? I know who you are. They also recognize his authority. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. I can imagine that just as the people in Capernaum were astonished at the teaching of Jesus, this ups at a level when this guy starts saying something because you're not quite sure who's actually saying it. Is it the demon or is it the man? What's going to happen here? This reminds me of a situation we had years ago. Uh, Our fellowship years ago had a small storefront in downtown St. Cloud, and it was a very unique place to have a church. It was a wonderful place to have a church. We had it um, right in between two bars and right next to anger management. (laughs) It was awesome. So Wednesday night, you had all these people out in front of the bars, you know, having their smoke break or whatever, and people outside of anger management having their smoke break or whatever, and, and then people would bump into each other that used to party together in high school, and they'd have a conversation, an odd one, you know, like, where are you going? I'm going to the bar. Where are you going? I'm going to Bible study. What? You know, what's happening here? And so you never knew, you never quite knew what was gonna happen on Wednesday nights, and it was, it was kind of fun. There was one particular Wednesday night where we were in the middle of a study with a small group of people that had gathered there, and I heard the door open. Our building was small enough, I heard the door open, wondered who was coming in. And this man came in, and he was obviously intoxicated, and he looked at me from behind the back row, and he had this wild-eyed look, and I went, oh, "All right, here, what's gonna happen? And he looked at me and he pointed his finger and he shouted with this guttural shout. He goes, why do you believe in God? And it really startled the congregation because they didn't see him walk in. So they all flipped their head around and looked at him. And then they turned back to look at me. And I thought they were going to have this kind of conciliatory look on their face like I'm sorry for the interruption, pastor. But instead, they all turned and looked at me me like they all had the same question. They're like, yeah, why do you believe in God? You know, They're like traitors, you know, I just, I don't know. so your mind's going a million miles an hour. What do I do? And I just thought, you know what? I paused the study made a small enough gathering. We circled the chairs and we had a wonderful conversation with this man about Jesus. It was sweet. Now, the man that Jesus is encountering isn't as sweet. Or should I say, the demons that Jesus is encountering aren't as sweet. They recognize his identity, they recognize his authority, and they're giving him the business. I know who you are. You come to torture us. You're the Holy One of God. Now, what does Jesus do? Let's read verses 23 to 27 this time. Verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out, With a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, I think one of the things that was so startling for them was the simplicity by which Jesus exercised his authority. Do you notice that? What did he say to the demon? Be quiet. Get out. That's it. They didn't have some freaky ceremony. And these people were very used to freaky ceremonies. There were several exorcists for hire back then who would have these elaborate ceremonies to cast out demon for a certain price. And yet Jesus, secure in his identity, doesn't need to say anything other than be quiet. Be muzzled, literally. I love that. Put a muzzle on it. Stop talking. And get out. And the demons who recognize his authority and his identity, they obey him, but not without doing as much damage on the way out. Did you notice that? Convulsing the man. They don't play nice. But it says the people were all amazed. First they were astonished, now they're amazed. And then verse 28, look at verse 28. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. Now, knowing what we know about people, knowing what we know about ourselves, what kind of fame do you think the scriptures are talking about here? Was it because of his message? Or was it because of his miracles? It's an interesting question. We'll find the answer to it shortly. But it says immediately his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. Now, what was the primary ministry of Jesus initially? Was it performing miracles or was it preaching the message? It was preaching the message, wasn't it? It was giving God's message. It was being God's message. It was teaching God's message. This was the primary ministry of Jesus. The miracles followed the message on occasion, not every time, but on occasion, often even. But the message was his primary purpose initially. But we'll see a few of the miracles documented by the end of our study. And we're also going to see the unfortunate byproduct of these miracles. And we're also going to see how Jesus had to reinforce his primary purpose of preaching and teaching and proclaiming and being God's message. Of telling people about the kingdom and the king of that kingdom. And how to become a citizen of that kingdom. And what's going to happen to your life when you are a citizen of that kingdom. And what he's preparing for you. And he's coming for you. And he's coming soon. That was the most important ministry. That was his primary purpose. Giving, serving, being God's message. But often, the miracles would follow the message. And we'll see a few of those here. Look at verse 28 this time. Verse 28 says, And immediately, his fame spread throughout all the region of Galilee. Now, as soon as they had come... Out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon. Take note of that. As soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But, verse 30, Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. And they told him about her at once. so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her. And she served them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And once again, you have simplicity. What did he do? He didn't even say anything this time, did he? He just exercised his authority. He went over to her. She had a fever. He lifted her up. The fever left her. And then what did it say? And she served them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, so many here have been healed by Jesus, touched by Jesus, healed of an incurable, debilitating disease. Jesus has lifted us up out of the pit of our own design. And he's healed us. And, and when, he's, when he healed us, we developed, over the course of time, a heart for service. Do you remember when I was telling you at the beginning how I found Jesus because I was chasing a girl. I got the girl. (laughs) Uh, Same girl. And I found that when I finally was fully confronted with the claims of Christ and I made the decision to surrender to Christ, it wasn't like bells and whistles and lightning bolts and the hallelujah chorus went off and an immediate total transformation. It was a subtle change in my heart to where I was no longer looking for information to disprove or I was no longer looking for loopholes. I was now curious if he really did care about me this much. I was now uh, wondering, if I could find more about this love, I wanted to know him actually. And then when I really found out that this was real and genuine and he does love me and not just all of us collectively, my heart started to overflow. And so now I want to help others to know the same thing. Has this happened to you? Jesus came to you in your pit, the one you dug with your decisions. And when you called out to him, he lifted you up. And he put your feet upon a solid rock. He gave you a new song to sing. And he even helped you to sing it. Then your heart started to overflow. Surely my cup overflows. And I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever. And I got to tell somebody. Not impress somebody with what I know about God's word. I want to serve somebody with what he's given me. We see this in Jesus. I love this. Now back again to verse 28, immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Remember when we took note of Jesus exiting the synagogue and walking right into Peter's house? Again, if you go to Capernaum in Israel, you can see they think that Peter's house was only a few yards from the entrance to the synagogue. And so they walked out of the synagogue and right into Peter's house. And God doesn't waste his words describing these scenes. And there was a reason for that. Jesus knew that something was going to happen in a matter of minutes. And he had to prepare for it. And we see it here. Verse 32 to 34 this time. Verse 32. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay, so again, Why had the whole city come to the door? Was it because of his message? Or was it because of his miracles? It was because of his miracles, right? They brought all who were sick. All who were demon-possessed. And what did it say about Jesus and ministering to them? He healed many who were sick. He cast out many who were demon-possessed. You notice it didn't say all. He was ministering to them. and, And I could imagine that in the midst of this, this would, be, this would be quite a temptation for Jesus. That might not be obviously apparent. But remember, he was 100% human, and he was just starting his earthly ministry. And he has the whole city at the door. To kind of put this into modern missionary terms, you could consider him planting a church, He's a missionary going to another city to give them the gospel, and now he's got the whole city at the door? This could be quite a temptation. But there was something wrong with the situation. What was it? They weren't coming to him for the right reasons. They weren't. His miracles were not his primary ministry. That wasn't what he was delivering primarily. He was delivering the word of God, the message. The miracles sometimes followed, but people were coming for the wrong reasons. But again, I think this would be quite the temptation. But Jesus knew there were the wrong reasons. He knew that whatever he would do to build his ministry, he'd have to do to maintain his ministry. And he didn't want people coming for this reason. He wanted people coming to hear the word of God, to be rooted and established in the word of God so that if they weren't one of the many that Jesus healed, they would still follow him. Do you see that? See, people who are coming as sign seekers and miracle followers, miracles in the Bible rarely ever produced faith. You think of people in the Old Testament following in the wilderness, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And what were they? They were some of the most discontented, whiny people, weren't they? Jesus wanted them to receive the message and to be rooted and grounded in the message so that especially even if they weren't one of the many, they would choose to follow. They would be able to say, it is still well with my soul. Now, I have empathy for these folks. When I was first growing in the Lord, I found myself a sign seeker. I remember when I first heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I wanted it. And I didn't want it so that I could be a better servant. I wanted it because I wanted the experience. I heard people talk about liquid love and the Lord laying them out and electric through their whole body. And I wanted to see what the Lord was going to do with me. So I was at a men's retreat one time and they finished the last session. I lingered until everyone left. And then on my way back to the bunkhouse, I stopped down by the lake and it was in Minnesota. It was very cool. In the evening, the moon was illuminating this mist, these columns of fog that were coming towards me and I was thinking about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters and I'm like, oh, it's going to happen. I found this rock on the sand that I could sit on and I even looked at it in practical terms. I thought if God's going to lay me out, I better make sure there's no other rocks around here. And So I sat on the rock and closed my eyes and, and I said, God, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. And nothing happened. So I thought. I actually got mad. Which is such a litmus test that I was a sign seeker. Miracle follower. I wasn't following Jesus for the right reasons. Jesus knew this about me, so he still gave me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I found that out years later. But he didn't give me the experience because he wanted me to seek the giver and not the gift. Ever had that season in your life? Jesus wants us to be vitally connected with Him through His Word that gives us the ability to endure whatever life has to offer, knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. He has been looking for worshipers that He could establish and strengthen with His grace by His Word. And so we we continue to see this contrast between the miracles and the message. Now, verse 35, the temptation, the distraction for Jesus. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons so once again, we have the message, we have the miracles, we have the message as first and foremost, we have the miracles sometimes following. Now I want to I give a word for some of you that this is going to apply to. If you have a loved one, if you have a family member, if you have a friend who's sick or hurting, of course you go to Jesus on their behalf. I have a loved one. I have a family member who is sick and hurting, in a pretty desperate situation. And we pray every day. We pray like Jesus said to do. You pound on the door until that guy gets up. And of course, you're going to do that. And it's intense, because you're wondering, am I are we part of the many that Jesus healed? Are we part of the few that he didn't? That's hard, isn't it? To continue to love Jesus and to trust Jesus when you're not part of the many that he helped, that he healed. I think of this with my kids. We pray with my kids every single morning for this particular situation. And I think in my mind as a father and a pastor, what is this going to do to them if God doesn't answer? They have to know how to function and follow God even if they're not, even if we're not part of the many that Jesus healed or helped in that moment. And how are they gonna learn to continue to follow God if they're not part of the many, right? The message. And this season has reinforced to me so strongly the necessity of continuing personally to receive the message so that I can say with authenticity, I know that nothing separates me from the love of God. I know that eternity is real. I know that suffering can produce God's glory if we continue to trust him, even if we're not part of the many. So can you see why there needs to be priority between these two good things? the Message, miracles, first and foremost, sometimes following. And Jesus did this for us so well. Such a great example. Such a servant. Did you you notice the chronology here for Jesus as a servant? That's so interesting to me. He spent a full day of Ministry, teaching and preaching, right? And then he comes right out of the synagogue, goes right into Peter's house, and then he spends the rest of the day ministering and healing. And then on into the evening, the whole city comes to him, the whole city, and he heals many. He casts out many demons. It says late into the evening. And then the very next morning, what does it say about Jesus time-wise? That he got up early. It says a long while before the sun came up because he had to go to be alone with his Father. He had to get clarity upon his calling so that when Peter came calling and said, everybody's looking for you, Jesus would know exactly what he was called to do, and he would have the courage to do not what was popular, but rather what was right. And the same thing happens to us when we have time alone with our Father and his word. We gain the courage to do what is not necessarily popular but rather what is right. And this is becoming increasingly important, isn't it? To have our priorities ordered aright so that when we're called on the carpet, when we have a distraction or a temptation, we will have the resources to do what is not necessarily popular, but what is right. To have the courage to represent Jesus and to stand for him. And I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that right now. This is March for Missions, isn't it? And we talk about people going to give the gospel, fulfilling the great commission. But the mission field is the whole world. God so loved the world. And this right here is God's mission field. I have a new friend this weekend, Pastor Roy, and I got to hear his testimony He and his wife heard Pastor Ed on the radio and they said, if we ever have a chance to go to Aurora where Roy is from on a Sunday morning, we've got to hear that guy. It sounds like he really believes what he's saying. (laughs) And then in 2007, they came and Roy gave his life to the Lord. Fast forward, he's on staff as a pastor. Isn't that amazing? I think Roy is probably thankful that a missionary named Ed Taylor came to his city to give the gospel. And this is how Jesus is still giving the gospel today through his church. And so today might be your day. Jesus has come here to give you his message. And this is the message. God created the universe, the whole thing. Scientists tell us now that they estimate that there's over two trillion galaxies, at least in the universe. The last time I checked that statistic was a few years ago, and they thought it was 200 to 300 billion. Now they say it's at least 2 trillion galaxies. And every galaxy has at least 200 billion stars each. And God knows all of those stars by name. And yet he thinks about you more. You One of billions on a tiny little speck of dust in one galaxy. And he knows you intimately. He knows everything you've ever said, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought. And he still loves you intimately. And he had all of this information before the foundations of the world. And he chose to live for you and to die for you and to pay your penalty in full the only one who could and the only one who did. Jesus, 100% human, 100% God, he stood in the gap and he erased the offense by paying the price in full. And now he offers you a decision. The decision is to whether to stand before God in and of your own strength and to answer for the things that you've done alone. Or to have Jesus stand in your stead. And for God, the righteous judge, to see his scars and to say, forgiven, enter in. God wants you to know this. God wants you to know that no matter how much you've sinned, no matter how great your debt is, have you ever been in debt so bad you can't see on way out for nothing. It's a blinding kind of anxiety. And yet your debt of sin has been increasing exponentially from the first time that you sinned and the debt's so high it could never be repaid by you or anyone else. The only one who did repay it is Jesus and he's offering you his righteousness in exchange for your sin so that you can enter in as a full citizen of this kingdom. And beyond that, a full member of his family, a son or a daughter of the king, a place at the table forever with full rights and privileges. Who wants that? Seriously, here, today, this morning, who wants that? I remember when I was finally confronted by the man who was teaching the Bible study on campus while I was trying to win the girl. He had been putting up with my junk for so long with me lying and saying that I was a Christian. He finally looked at me one day and he says, just stop lying to people. And I go, what? He goes, you and I know you never surrendered your life to the Lord. Just stop telling people that you're a Christian. And then I got pretend offended, right? Right? It's like, what? How dare you? We had this super long argument, but then there came a time where I had to realize that what he was saying was absolutely true, and there was no kidding him, and there was no kidding God, and I had a decision to make. I was so scared to do it. I was so nervous. I picked up this stick off the ground, and I was sitting there like rubbing the stick while I was getting ready to ask Jesus into my life and acknowledge him as Lord, and by the time I finished the prayer, that stick looked like driftwood. It was completely smooth. So I recognize that your heart might be beating a million miles an hour right now because you understand that eternity is on the line and there is some urgency to this message that God has given to you. You have heard him call your name. You have heard him call you on the carpet, not to embarrass you, but to give you a gift. And the only thing that you need to receive this gift is sin. Do you have any of that? Now, the Bible says that if you acknowledge God before men, He will acknowledge you before His Father. And I want to give you an opportunity to acknowledge God before men. So if you want to make this decision to receive Jesus as your King, as your Lord, and today commit your life to Him, I would ask that you would stand right now, and I want to lead you in a prayer to seal this deal. Just stand to your feet. The Lord's calling your name. This is between you and him. But there is something so tangible about being able to make this decision before men. Is this you? You know if it is. You know I don't know you. And you know that there were things addressed this morning that only you know and only God knows and again, God didn't call you on the carpet to embarrass you. He called you on the carpet so that you would know that He's real. I remember one time we were at a coffee shop at one of the churches that I served in, and there were these two girls there, and they were twins. And when I walked into the coffee shop, it's a rare occasion, but it happened where I was impressed upon going up to one of the girls and saying, God says, I know what you've done. It was so weird. It rarely happened. So I was so nervous about obeying God that I made laps around the coffee shop. It was good that I didn't, you know, blow some horns on the seventh time because the coffee shop might have fallen down, but (laughs) I finally went back into the coffee shop. I went up to the twins and I said, hey, this might sound really weird and I don't know who it applies to because you look so similar, but to both of you, God says, I know what you've done. And one of the girls shot a glaze at the other girl. And the other girl shot a gaze at me, me, and she says, it's me, but I don't want to tell you what I've done. And I said immediately, you don't have to. That's not why God gave me this message to give to you. It's not between me and you. It's between you and him. And he wants you to know that he knows what you've done, and he still loves you and he's holding out a wounded hand to you to take away the sin of the world. See, you might have grown up in a religious circle where you think that Jesus' ministry is pointing a finger of accusation. That's not his mission. That's not his ministry. His ministry is to extend a wounded hand, a pierced hand, and to say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. Is that you? If so, stay and we'll pray. God bless you, man. Who else? I know there's more here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You. Praise the Lord. Okay, for those of you who are standing and for those of you who are still sitting, God is merciful. Let's pray. Let's pray. He's the one that gives the gift. You just acknowledge. Let's pray. Something simple like this. Jesus, please forgive me. Please receive me into your family. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Please help me to follow you and no one else. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for receiving me into your family. Thank you for filling me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping me even to stand. Lord, I love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name amen. Now, hey, listen, as we sing this song, if you hear the Lord call your name, you come forward. There's going to be pastors and prayer warriors up here to help you. Let's worship the Lord.